Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you've got your Bibles, you want to open to the book of Isaiah. We have been in the midst of these oracles about the different nations, and we're still in chapter 19, so we're still talking about Egypt. If you remember last week, we see that judgment is coming, and God is telling, basically telling us, and he's, he's telling Judah that don't trust in nations. Don't trust in those that are going to be judged in, in, in a rather severe way. And, and for us, that means that we are not to put our full trust in our governments. And we're not to put our full trust in our leaders because they are human and they too will stand before God. I want to share with you a, as I said, I think it was either last week or the week before, I told you I love Mark Twain. I love how some of his, his sayings are, are, there's, they have such meaning to him. There's some deepness there, but they're also usually pretty funny. He says, a man never reaches that dizzy height of wisdom when he can no longer be led by his nose. And it's not something we think about uh, being led by your nose, but it's like, you know, God, when somebody would, you'd put your fingers in their nose and you'd pull them because of what they were doing. Nobody is so wise today or ever that God cannot get their attention and pull them by their nose. We saw last week that judgment is going to occur. Judgment is going to fall on Egypt. And while they were wise in their own eyes and and they, they relied upon their own wisdom and their own strength, their own military, their own economy, they were a world power. And Israel always finds itself stuck between these two world powers. So we have Egypt, and and the Egyptians, remember the Egyptians had sent a a group of emissaries, and God says, no, go back. I I love you. You know, sometimes we have to tell our kids, I love you, but (laughs) you're not going to do that. You're right. So God sends them back, and he gives a oracle of what their judgment is going to look at. We covered that last week. Because one day, Egypt would no longer be a superpower. And it's going to be because of the hand of the Lord. God is going to do it. So like Mark Twain said, Egypt was not so wise that God could not lead them by their nose to the judgment of the Lord. If you think about it, ever ever since Israel was led out of slavery... In Egypt, they kept looking back towards Egypt. They would always think about going back to Egypt, going back to Egypt when when they were wandering in the desert. And trials and and difficult times would come. What did they say? Oh, Moses, you brought us out here to be killed. Let's go back to Egypt where at least we had water. Let's go back to Egypt where at least we had fish. You were slaves. But at least we had food. They were constantly wanting to go, immediately wanting to go back to Egypt. And they spent a 
whole generation wandering in the desert until everyone except for two people from that generation were gone. The only two that survived were Joshua and Caleb that came out of, that were adults when they came out of Egypt. But even without Egypt, even after they get into the promised land, we, we see that Israel is trying, is, they're turning to everything but Yahweh, turning to everything but God. Don't we do that? We, 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 in our wisdom, in our human wisdom, we think, oh, I got this figured out. This is what I need to do. When the first thing we need to do is we need to go to prayer. We need to go to prayer. In 2 Kings 1, we, we see, see King Ahaziah. He's, what has happened is King Ahaziah, he's fallen. He's fallen through a lattice. He's fallen from a, an upper window. And he's fallen through this lattice work, this woodwork. And he's laying there and he's in pain. And like most of us, you know, I don't know about you, but when, when I had COVID, I had that moment when I thought, okay, God, are you going to take me? <laughs> is this it? And he's wondering, am I going to die? But instead of inquiring of God, what does he do? He sends messengers to a place called Ekron. And Ekron is a pagan city of the Philistines. And he wants to inquire of Beelzebub if he is going to survive or not. Beelzebub is Baal. Baal was the god of of the Philistines, of of the Canaanites. Beelzebub is a name we give for Satan. So he is inquiring of the dark one. He is inquiring of the enemy. He's inquiring of evil. Am I going to survive? Instead of inquiring of God. So even then, they're turning to things other than God. So what happens is, God has Elijah intercept those messengers, and he lectures them on not inquiring of God himself. And what happens? Ahaziah dies because he did not inquire of God. I mean, think about this. Should God not be offended when we don't go to him first? Shouldn't he be? I mean, if you are an expert in your field and everybody is going to somebody else in the field and they know you're the expert and yet they don't go to you, don't you think you'd be a little offended? I mean, I would be. Sometimes I'm offended when people come to me because I have no idea. They think I know what I'm talking about, and I don't. But God gets offended when they don't turn, when we don't turn to Him, when we trust in everything else except for Him. We're going to, in November, we're going to have the anniversary of our of our, the founding of this church, and our speaker that day is going to be somebody I know. His name is Jim Halstead. He does a evangelism ministry is going to come and share about evangelism because, I mean, that's why this church was started. And he says, you know what? Most people don't realize that the first thing you need to do before you evangelize is pray to God. Pray to him about those people who are lost, who don't know him. Somebody in your life that doesn't know Christ, you pray for them and you keep praying for them. Most people don't think to do that. Well, I need to go share the gospel with them. No, you need to pray first. You need to take it to God first. See, if we, if we build our houses on the sand of human wisdom, or worse, uh, as Ahaziah did, of satanic wisdom, it's going to fall. We have to build our house on the rock of Jesus Christ. So 
So what's going to happen? What's going to be the future for Egypt? Because at this time, they are still a world power. They are going to go through judgment, like we talked about last week. But even in the midst of that judgment that God is going to vet out on Egypt, they still have a future in God's plan. God is going to save an elect people, a chosen people from every nation. We know the Scripture tells us that way. From every tribe, nation, and tongue, there's going to be people that God has chosen, that God is going to save, that we are going to be together one day. And that's also going to include the Egyptians. So we must keep in mind that God has His eye not just on us. We have the we sometimes we have a tendency to, to Americanize our faith. We think that God is you know it's all about us. It's all about America, right? Especially now, Fourth of July. It's all about America. It's about the United States. No, God has His eyes on the whole world. He sees every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And his plan for the world will succeed. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if somebody would, had come to me and told me the things we talked about last week, boy, that would, that, that would kind of not settle too well with me. Because, see, the Bible has a lot to tell us about fear. We're not to fear evil. Evil has no power over us. I'm going to embarrass Abigail. Can I? Okay. See, I got her permission now. Abigail Abigail does not like to go out into the garage by herself. And I understand that. I probably didn't when I was young either. Now, I know what's out there. There's nothing out there that could get her. But she has a fear that there's something out there. So do, you, do I like not send her out there? No, I send her out there. But she'll always ask Caleb, can you go with me? You know. But there's no rationality for, for, for me as an adult. If I was afraid to go to my garage, that would, there would be a problem. You know? But for her, it's a rational fear. But there's nothing in this world that can harm us that God's going to, not going to do something about it. It doesn't mean he's going to keep us from being harmed. It just means that he's going to be there with us. God's going to get us through all trials and all tribulations. It's, in the midst of it, it's going to be difficult. I have had a lot of trials in my life, and it's been so hard to go through them. I, wish, I sometimes wish I never had to go through them. But then as I look back, I think God was there. He got me through. The only thing in this world that we are to fear is God himself. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. When we look at, we look at the fear of the Lord, and, and, and there's been a, you, know, you do a whole sermon on it. What, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's respect. It's, it's understanding that, you know, why should we fear something that could kill the body when we, we should fear the one who can, can condemn our souls to hell? I mean, there's all these things about how, how we need to have this, this utmost respect. It goes beyond being afraid. It's much deeper than that. But... When the Israelites had come out of Egypt 
and all the plagues that happened and all the miracles that occurred, when they get to Jericho, they send in spies. And the spies find out that the people of Jericho are afraid of the Israelites. Now, it's not because Israelite had this huge army. It wasn't because the Israelites were so fierce. It was because of God and what God had done to the Egyptians. They had heard and they were afraid of what the Israelites, God, could do to them. The Egyptians themselves were terrified of the judgments that God placed on them. By the time it got down to the last one, I imagine, now think about this. Our leaders don't always, don't always think like we do. Now, could you imagine being Egyptian? And you, you hear what, that, that Moses is doing these things. All these bad things are happening. You've got all these locusts, all these frogs, all these terrible, the water being turned to blood. And you're thinking, man, just give in to them and get rid of them. That's what the people are thinking. But Pharaoh's like, no, no. So you're like, you're, you begin, as, as the people, we begin to get fearful of the God that's doing these things. The Egyptians were afraid, terrified, as their judgments began and progressed. And so maybe now, like last week, we saw that they're being told that these judgments are going to happen. Could you imagine? It's sparking memories, sparking thoughts of what happened to their ancestors when they tangled with Yahweh. The last time that God dealt with this rebellious nation was drastic, and it's going to be again. But we also got to remember what this says, what Psalm 111 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end. It is the beginning of wisdom. Because what happens is fear can transform us. It changes us. Hopefully it's to the good, but it can transform us. Because look what happens to Egypt. What we're going to learn today is what happens to Egypt. You know, I just realized that I didn't put my scripture in here. So let me, let's go back, let's go to chapter 19. Let's see what happens to Egypt. It says, in that day, verse 16 of Isaiah 19. In that day. This is the day of the judgment. And, and understand that what we're seeing here is we're seeing something his, that historically is going to happen, but we also see a foretelling. This is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen on the day of the Lord, which is at the end of time when, when God comes to judge all nations. He says, In that day the Egyptians will be like women. No offense to the women. He doesn't say it. says like women. And tremble with fear before the hand of the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord has proposed against them. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be scared. But what's going to happen ultimately is God's going to use this fear. God's going to use this judgment. He's going to use this tribulation time, this time of strife and stress. He's going to change the Egyptians. He 
He's going to lead them to him. And here's where he does it. In verse 18. It says, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of those cities will be called the city of destruction. See, understand that in in the midst of the trials and the midst of the judgment that's going to come from God, the people of Egypt are going to turn. There's going to be some of them that are going to turn to Yahweh and they're going to seek deliverance from him. See, the the purpose of the afflictions, the purpose of the judgment is not just to destroy. The purpose of the judgment is to lead people to God. The reason that you and I have trials in our lives is to help us draw closer to God. When When we're faced with trials, what do we do? We need to go to him. As we said, the first thing we should do is we should pray. We need to go to God when we are in trials. The purpose of our affliction is to teach us to trust in Yahweh, to trust in God. By the way, when I say Yahweh, whenever you see in Scripture when it says Lord, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is his covenant name. What's interesting, though, and there was just some, uh, some research done, some archaeology done recently that they found a scroll. And it's the only place ever found where the word El which is God and Yahweh are together in the same scroll, proving again that the Bible is accurate. Now, you think about it. So there are going to be five cities, five Egyptian cities that are going to turn to God. They're going to speak the language of Yahweh, and they're going to turn to God to deliverance. Do you know that there are over 30,000 cities in Egypt? 30,000 cities and towns. But five of them turn to God. Only five. And when we think, that's a pretty paltry number, isn't it? That's kind of small, right? Five out of 30,000 cities? But we would be wise to remember that narrow is the way that leads to God, and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And we also know that With just five Egyptian cities, we know from Revelation 7 that there will be a great multitude who will be saved. Of all the nations, there's a great multitude. God, yeah, only five, that seems like a failure. We would look at that as a failure, but God says, no, I'm saving five cities. Those are the people who are going to turn to me. And it's amazing that any Egyptian would even turn to Yahweh, the God of Israel. The Egyptians always looked down on the Israelites. In Genesis of the account of Joseph, we see that you know Joseph's brothers and his father have come after Joseph reveals himself to them as being their brother who they sold into slavery. And he says, bring, all, bring everybody, bring my father, bring everybody. So they're all coming down. And he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, well, you know, what did they do? What was their profession? And he's talking, actually talking to Jacob at this point. And Jacob says, I'm a shepherd. Well, to the Egyptians, a shepherd was the lowliest of the low, and nobody would associate with a shepherd, especially an Egyptian. You wouldn't be found in the same room with a shepherd. So they go off to a place called Goshen, not Indiana, Goshen, Egypt, which is a place for shepherds. But here we have 
God talking about Egyptians turning to the good shepherd. Huh. Five cities are going to escape destruction. And we have the names, the names of name of one. It's called the City of Destruction. And if you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, that is the city that Christian is escaping from. But see, these cities are going to be not just not going to just be saved to go about their daily lives, to go about their normal lives. They're going to be transformed. Look what it says in verse 19. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. And when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. Anytime you see an altar and you think about an animal sacrifice being done on an altar, it's kind of an image of Christ's sacrifice. That's what should come to our mind. And when they would set up a pillar, a pillar was set up to signify something big has happened here. When, um, when Jacob wrestled with God, he set up an altar and a pillar. You know, when they crossed the Jordan the first time, when the priest went out with the Ark Covenant and the water split in the Jordan, they put pillars there. They put pillars at the Red Sea when, they, when God split that and they crossed it, or the Sea of Reeds, as it actually says. It signifies, it's a reminder to those. And if you look in the Old Testament, say, and the pillar is there to this day. It doesn't mean like today, because it's probably gone by now, but when it was written, these were written, that it's still there. But see, this altar points to the fact that here we have the sacrifice of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Because it is only only through the shed blood of Christ that the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Israelites, you and me, everyone, all nations can be saved. It's the only way. So as these cities are, are call upon the name of the Lord, they're going to receive a Savior. See, understand, God's judgment on Egypt is never just because he's a local bully and he can push people around. It's because he has a purpose it's a, his purpose is to have himself be known to the Egyptians. So when we are in our trials, when we're struggling in life, we need to say, okay, what is God telling me? What is God? He's trying to draw me to him. He wants me to rely upon him for my strength. He wants me to go to him. He doesn't want me to rely on my own. And how is he going to make himself known? He makes himself known because he's going to heal them. Well, how do you how do we get healed? Well, you think, well, you know, I have this scar, God heals and it goes away. I have, you know, I have a broken limb or I have a missing limb. Or I, you know, all these all these miracles that could happen that we think that we're going to be healed or we're sick and we're, we get better or we and you know, God raises somebody from the dead. We raised Lazarus that we think, oh, he was healed. No, in Scripture, when we're talking about healing, we're talking about healing from our sins, healing from the darkness that is inside of each of us. He's going to make himself known because he's going to heal them. And what heals us? Our faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. So interesting is that here we have, we have looking forward to a time when Egypt is going to accept Christ. At least five cities are. (coughs) 
At least those five cities are going to. It could be the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to go to the book of John, chapter 17. Verse 3. That's what it says. It says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That was Jesus' purpose for coming was so that we would know God. That we would know God. See, the key, the key to knowing God, which is what the Egyptians are going to do, they're going to know God now. They don't know God then. At that point, they still probably they don't know God now. Not all of them. These five cities are probably, probably the most, I think probably the most Muslim cities there are in Egypt. And God is going to call people in those cities. And those cities are going to be saved because they know God. The key to knowing God is what is revealed about Himself in Scripture. Because God wants to be known. There's a... I was listening to a guy talking about the fact that he can, without even opening the Bible, he can prove that God exists. And so he talks about the fact that if, if you go out, you go out at night and you look, what do you see in the sky at night? What do you see? Stars? Right. And planets? Why? Why? Why do we see it? Because God wants us to see it. If God, if there wasn't a God, then we probably the sky would not be clear. It wouldn't be transparent. Because why? It would be just a waste. God, God wants to be known. He wants us to see his creation. Why? Because creation reveals God. And Jesus reveals to us who the Father is. When Jesus was with his disciples and he's telling them about the Father, and they said, Well, you know, show us. Show us the Father. And he says, I've been with you this whole time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. We can know God because we can know Christ. We see Jesus in Scripture. That's God. The Egyptians will know God because they know Jesus. He will be revealed to them. And Jesus is the only Savior of mankind. And the Egyptians are going to know salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and his gospel, and they're going to be healed by his wounds, and in turn, they will worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's go back to verse 21 of Isaiah 19. It says, and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Striking and healing. 
and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their plea for mercy, and he will heal them. See, no longer will a nation send a delegation to another nation. We do that today. Our, co- our country will send a delegation to another country trying either to make some kind of deal or make some kind of arrangement, usually not always for our best interest. But no longer is that going to happen. Instead, people will travel freely. Look what it says in verse 23. It says, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. This is not talking about Assyria attacking and destroying Egypt. It's talking about the fact that there's going to be a road, and they will go back and forth, and they will worship together. They'll worship together. Enemies will worship together. I get this image when I think about that. I think about the part of Scripture says where you know a lion will lay, well a lamb will lay down with the lion. A, a child will play around the nest of the adder. What, what parent in the right mind would let a child, a small child, play around a, a poisonous snake's nest? But see, when God comes in the day of the Lord, when that happens, it's it's not going to be a problem anymore. Enemy, there will be no enemies. The road is open. All nations will again be one people. As it says in verse 24, it says, In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought Israel was God's chosen people. Oh, no. God chooses from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Israel is God's chosen people for that purpose of revealing the Messiah. And they still are blessed, and we still need to be on their side, and because God's still working in them, they too will come to Christ one day. And he says, in Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel is my inheritance. All people, one nation, all together. Finally, world peace. The one thing that all these crazy elites in our world have been dreaming of, where you have one people, one nation, over the whole world. The problem is, as humans, we can't do it because we're fallen sinners. This is something only God can do, and God is going to do it. The old way of, of the world, which is you know pitting nation against nation in a struggle for dominance, that's gone. This is the way it has been since the fall. It's always been happening. Adam and Eve sin, the fall. What's the first thing that happens that we see in Scripture? There was some time in there, but king kills his brother. And from then, the violence just continues. And it has been continuing and will continue. And it's going to go become exponentially worse. But the day is coming when we will all worship God together as one people. The new covenant Through our faith in Jesus Christ, enemies will become brothers in Christ. God will call Egypt my people and Assyria the work of my hands. When we see Paul in Romans, he quotes Hosea. This is what he says in Romans 9, 23. He says, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. He's saying that, 
the reason why God is calling us, why God is calling from all nations, is to be known the riches of His glory and the vessels of His mercy. It's so we can know God better. That's why He's calling us from every nation. As indeed it says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. See, this is, this is the hope that we're having. God has talked about He's talked about the judgment. He's talked about what he's going to do to him. Now he's saying, this is what I'm going to actually, my ultimate goal is. We've got to go through this hard time because the time is coming when the day of the Lord happens, when this is what will occur. God's going to do a new work in our hearts. We will no longer go to war. We will no longer be enemies. We will be brothers and sisters in Christ as one nation in the whole earth. Former rebels are going to be transformed into children of God. We've got to ask, are we, are we willing to experience the suffering in this world for a time being to get to the point where we really trust in the Lord? Or are we going to just intentionally trust in him now so that we can endure the suffering that's going to come? See, you and I, this is what God has done to us. He transforms us. We once were rebels. But we were created for good works, but we're rebelling against it. The good work of sharing the gospel. That God has prepared. He's prepared beforehand for us to do these good things. He's, he's doing things. He's prepared all this for us. And see what's going to happen. Just think of that day when we all, when this is finally done, that the elect of Egypt, of Israel, of Assyria, with the elect of the nations will join together in the new Jerusalem and they'll worship Jesus Christ. And God's going to give them a sign. He's going to give them a sign of what's going to occur, ultimately. What's going to happen in the meantime and what's going to occur in the end. And here's the sign. This is what he gives in, first, in chapter 20. It says, in that year that the commander-in-chief who was, was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, so this is something that has happened in the past, because we can go back and we can see that those things did happen. Sargon sent his commander-in-chief. He came to Ashdod, and he fought against it, and he captured it. And at that time, the Lord spoke to Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go, and loose the sackcloth from your waist, and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so walking naked and barefoot. He told the prophet to take all of his clothes off and walk around naked and barefoot. So if you see some crazy man walking around naked and barefoot, I mean, just imagine seeing that. That's not, that doesn't normally happen. But God told him to do it. Why? This is what he says. The Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years. He walks around like that for three years. Years As a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives. This is God putting his fingers in the nose of the Egyptians to move them. 
and the Cushite exiles, both young and old, naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. He's saying, God is saying, look, you can't hide from me. Your, 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 your power, your, your magnificent, your human cunning, your human wisdom, it doesn't hide who you really are. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. I see it. It's naked in front of me. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush, their hope, and of Egypt, their boast. He's saying, those that trusted in you are going to be ashamed of it. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped in, and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? Those who look to Egypt will no longer be able to look to Egypt. And their prideful idolatry, it's going to be judged. The shame that once of this great, once great Egypt is going to be nothing. It's going to be, they're going to be shamed because of what they've done. They're going to be defeated by the Assyrians. Egypt's going to fall at Eltica. There's a place it falls at. They deserve the judgment that was to come. Now think about this. Isaiah's told to do this for three years. God is still patient. He, he could have instantly just done away with them. People ask me that today. Well, why doesn't God, why doesn't God just come down? This moment. He may. I don't know. <laughs> this right, this moment. Why does it why did why does it take until now? Because it's because God is gracious. He's kind. He's waiting for us to repent. He's waiting for the five cities. He's waiting for all of us to turn to, to Christ because. Not all of us. He's waiting for those who will turn to Christ to turn to Christ. His goal, is he, what he wants is for all. His desire is for everyone to turn to him. But not everyone will. Some of them are going to have to face the judgment. God is patient and he is gracious. He didn't have to warn Egypt. He doesn't have to warn us. But he cares about humanity and wishes that we all will come to salvation. He warned them. He warned them in many different ways, as he does us. He warns us all the time. You see, you know, when we look at prophecy, we see what's going on. We think, we think about the, the birth pains. When, when a mother is getting ready to give birth, that's a warning. Hey, the baby's coming. It's coming. And we know that the earthquakes, the, the trials, the wars, the rumors of wars, it's all birth pains that this world is not going to last that much longer. But the end's not yet. There's still a lot to come, a lot to happen. And God is showing Israel a lesson that he tried to get them to learn over and over again. Trust in the word, Lord alone. Don't trust in the things of this world. Don't trust in the Egyptians. Don't trust in, in your own strength. Trust in God alone. You and I, we're going to go through difficult times. It's going to be hard. The very foundations that we stand on are going to be shaken. What we thought we could trust in is going to be gone. We're going to see the weakness of our human ways, the weakness of our human strength. It's nothing. All those things we try to hide from God, all the, all the boasting that we do in order to fool the world into thinking that we are something that we're not. 
God sees through it all. Many of us are going to face suffering in the very near future. So what are we going to trust in? Are we going to trust in the things that are ultimately going to be burned up and be gone? Talk a little bit about more that, about that next week. What do you put your trust in? Are we going to be ready when we stand before God? And can we honestly say to God, what you do is good? See, the ultimate way that God communicates to us and warns us is through his son. Jesus says, I'm coming back. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, because where I am, there you will be also. And we also know from Revelation that Jesus is coming back, and this time he's not coming back as a little baby in a manger. He's coming back riding a horse with a sword, ready to pass judgment. Are we going to be ready? What are we putting our trust in? Are we putting our trust in the world or are we putting our trust in Christ who is the only one that we can trust in for our deliverance? See, this is, this is why we take communion. We take communion to remember that just as Jesus suffered and died for us, we too are going to suffer in this world. But see, in the midst of our suffering, we can always remember that we have a Savior who paid the ultimate price for us. And He came and He died. And He overcame the world. So in this world, we will have troubles. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.